0: Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is brought to you by With Jack. They help keep you in business by supporting you financially or legally if you have problems with a client. Get the freelance insurance you deserve. With monthly plans and zero cancellation fees, a With Jack policy gives you complete control over your protection. Visit withjack.co.uk and be a confident freelancer. And right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for illustrator Tom Hovey.
1: You know, when I was doing fake, I'd be drawing until like two in the morning sometimes. Me and my wife lived in a one bed flat and the desk was in our bedroom. So she'd wake up in the morning and I'd be like asleep on a pile of cake drawings. (laughs) He put me in touch with his IP lawyer. And, you know, it seemed like something that was crazy for me, who didn't have much money at the time. Up to that point, I was just like, yeah, it's a contract. I want work. I'll just sign it. But I just thought it's in my interest to go and get my terms in the contract. 20 months I worked out that I'd worked consistently on bake-off related projects with no break. I was completely burnt out. Being pushed by the production company and being pushed by like my wife to say, you need to get some help. There's a lot to be had in this world, you know, if you kind of push yourself and just put yourself and just kind of say yes to stuff.
0: Yeah, so there is Tom, who is based in Wales, And he, well, I mean, if you're an illustrator, if you're in the illustration world, you've probably heard of Tom Hovey. If you're not, I still reckon you've seen his work. And that's because Tom does the illustrations for the Great British Bake Off and all the various spin-offs that there have ever been. Uh, Bake Off is huge around the world. So, yeah, you know those illustrations when someone's making a cake and it sort of comes up with like a little book and that's Tom's work. And he's done it since the very first series in 2010. So, yeah, really interested to hear Tom's story as to how he got started doing that. Just to say, this episode is a bit longer than... A lot of them, but that's because there is so much to Thomas' story that I kind of want to dig into and hear, so I... I hope you enjoy it uh, that coming up in a moment. Go to beingfreelance.com as for all of our guests you can find links through to them, reach out to them, share it if you enjoy it. Please do leave a review as well because that helps it get found. But most importantly, I would love to see you over in the Being Freelance community. Come and join freelancers from around the world. We have live Q&As, we have the pub quiz, we have the non-employee of the week awards. We have a chance for you to learn and support and cheer each other on and have a laugh. And we also have the Being Freelance Directory, supported by Goldstag Accounts. Thank you to them for keeping it free. It's a place where you can find each other online. If you're in the community, that is, you can find others to connect with, collaborate with, um, refer work on to. It's it's really, really great. I'm so pleased with how it's going. And you can join that too if you're part of the community. Simply click the link at beingfreelance.com. Okay let's crack on and hear from this week's guest that is freelance illustrator Tom Hovey. Hey Tom. Hey how you doing? I'm good thanks so much for doing this. As ever how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance?
1: Yeah Um. so I uh, graduated uni in 2006. Uh, I did illustration degree at Bournemouth. I moved to Bristol after university with a couple of friends. I didn't Assume that I would walk into a freelance career so I kind of went and got a full-time job knowing that it was never going to be a job it was just going to be a something to pay the rent while I drew in the evenings and at night you know and tried to pursue that freelance life and um, so I didn't really get much work but I just kind of carried on what I was doing at uni and just drawing every day every night did kind of gig posters for mates bands and for like close to no money, never anything that was going to prop up my rent and all that kind of stuff. But I started posting work, or I was posting work on MySpace and Facebook because that's kind of pretty much what there was at that time. Um, And I guess the first kind of thing that I kind of got involved with after uni was there was a collective called Daydream Collective. And the guys that ran it got in touch and said that they put on kind of group shows in London and would I want to put some work in for it? so yeah so they put on a group show in the MNC Saatchi headquarters in Golden Square in Soho so I kind of went down to that and it was kind of they just took over the space filled it full of art and uh, graffiti artists and that kind of stuff and and that kind of that was my first introduction to kind of the art world and I carried on working with them for kind of quite a few years the next year I went down and actually took part in filling the space with illustration and graffiti me and two other illustrators kind of did one huge wall um of a kind of like uh, a street scene with characters and loads of stuff going on i mean it was a really pivotal time for me kind of going i was going down to london a lot um, getting involved with these shows meeting loads of people through those shows and then being kind of asked to do other other work and i and somehow became a kind of mural artist i was doing pretty much all the stuff that I was doing was just big drawings on the walls and paintings and that sort of stuff. And it was never something that I'd really planned on doing. And none of this I got paid for. It was, it, there was no, <laughs> there was no payment. It was all, and it wasn't that thing of, if you get this, it'll be exposure. It was just like, come and be part of a collective, you know, and just do this cool stuff. And that, and that's kind of all I saw it as. After that um, bank holiday where we, we spent the whole bank holiday drawing all over the walls of um, Saatchi's kind of foyer. I then got asked to do another show on Carnaby Street. And then there was another show straight after that. And I'd only planned to go down for the bank holiday. And I just kind of stayed and didn't really tell work. I (laughs) I wasn't coming back. So I got sacked, (laughs) obviously. Um, But I didn't really care, you know, because it was like, well, you know, it's just a temp job. I I had no interest. You know, this is what I had always planned to do. Just go out and just see what I could get my hands on. You know, I had no plan. And through through working with those guys, I, and and from people coming to those shows, I got I got random little jobs that were paid for people like Red Bull and like Henry Lloyd and Agent Provocateur, and they were they weren't massive things, but they were just kind of they were quite interesting little jobs, and and just for me, it was just a little kind of peep into the world of being a freelancer. But but during that time, I by doing murals and that sort of stuff, I just had to kind of develop a style because I had no experience of doing murals whatsoever before I went down that first weekend. And I, you know, I really didn't do a good job um, (laughs) on on those walls. I had no like, because, because before that, I'd always just took the approach to my illustration that I would plan nothing, just have an idea of what I wanted in my head and just, and just splat it out on the page, you know, and just see what happened. And obviously when it comes to doing that on a wall, there's no, you know, you can't just go, oh, well, that's crap. I'll just do another. It's there, like, you know, and it was in this, you know, grand kind of foyer of this, you know, massive ad agency, you know, being young and naive. Me and other the boys, you know, we would just drink all day and all night and stay up till like four in the morning painting. So I just drew loads of really bad and offensive stuff. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people weren't particularly happy with what I did. And And it just, it taught me a lot of really important lessons about, a, planning your work, B, like reading the room and knowing <laughs> knowing what not to do. <laughs> um, but, but also like working alongside some of these graffiti artists that were incredible. They came in on like the Saturday morning, rocked up, you know, with a kind of illustrated page of what they planned to do and just bang out this wall. And it was a thousand times better than anything that we were doing and just do it in like five hours where we were there for like four days, you know, and, and it just taught me a, a really important lesson about pre-planning and, and professionalism, you know, but do, but during that time I developed the, the, the kind of, the, um, the beginnings of what my style would become years and years later, but by painting in acrylic, I would paint in lots of characters and that kind of stuff. And, um and I would paint in acrylic because I had a kind of understanding of painting um, and do kind of, uh, quite textured painting and that kind of stuff, and then I would go over the top with Posca pan. Um, and that and that basically kind of without me really realizing became the style that I ended up using for Bake Off in a in a kind of slightly different way. But so yeah, there was there was lots of good stuff that kind of came out at that time, you know.
0: Wow, so you stayed in London, did those shows, and and I mean whilst you described them as small jobs, those were big names that you were getting approached. Off the back of that work, right? Kind
1: of, yeah. And just being around the guys. So, so the guys that ran. There was a guy called um, Hugo and Avu, and they they ran that collective. And they were just really big champions of me and what I was doing. So they would just push me. You know, they were just in touch. They were just those kind of people that were just running around town, going, "Right, right, look at this, look at this, look at it You know, to to clients. Uh, and they were kind of they acted as kind of agents. There was never like contracts or anything like that, but. They just pushed me in front, you know, just like, hey, come and do this. So, you know, we went to like Red Bull's offices. It's, it's a huge, amazing office with like, you know, there was like a band there at that time, kind of, and they had like a slide going from one floor to the next <laughs> and having like a photo shoot on their rooftop bar and stuff. And it was just, it was a really nice kind of way to like, after leaving uni, get into like, wow, this is like, th- th- there's a lot to be had in this world, you know, if you kind of push yourself and just put yourself and just kind of say yes to stuff, you know?
0: So how did you move it forward and seize that? You, you've sort of started to make connections. Your work is being seen. What, what sort of year was that? A year, was it a year after you finished? Uh, yeah, so that was kind
1: of like 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just doing a lot of sofa surfing, you know, staying on mate's sofas that, that lived in London. Our plan, my, me and my girlfriend who I'd met in uni, we were like, right, let's move back to my parents in Wales and just kind of get our heads together and figure out what we're going to do. So we moved back in with my parents and I, <laughs> I just planned to just like try a million different things and to see what stuck because I didn't really, I wasn't really happy with what I was doing work-wise and I was a bit confused and I, during that period I tried so many different styles. I was doing kind of photorealistic pencil sketching, I did watercolors, um, I did kind of like digital character design and, that kind of stuff and none of it was really anything. And I wasn't really getting any work from it. I was getting kind of traction on various kind of social media kind of sites and stuff, but none of it was leading to work. And during that time, I took a really mental job, which was so stupid, but it seemed like a good idea Um, at the time. um, I got approached to be a kind of um, an artist for this um, thing called a motion comic. They're basically like a, it's like a feature film, but like with flat. Um, illustrations and they would kind of cut up the the flat illustration and just like move things within the frame it was a weird kind of thing anyway it was the the pay was basically <laughs> once we've drawn enough of the film and we get funding from a you know a studio or whatever then you'll get paid and i knew going into it that that was insane and and I like my brother-in-law's a lawyer and I actually showed him the contract and he was like well you know I mean it's not good (laughs) so it's kind of up to you you know if you think there's a chance it's it's good and it'll be worth your while and it yeah and and so anyway I worked on that for like six months for no pay like studio in my in my parents garage um, and then it got dropped so you know so I didn't get paid for anything it was in like a, a kind of set styles. So it wasn't even work. That was like I was interested in. So yeah. So, so it, that was another kind of really important lesson on like, don't take insane jobs like that, <laughs> get paid, <laughs> um, you know? And, and so, and so after that point I was like, right, we nearly need to get our heads together. So, um, so we then decided to move to London um, in 2010. And you you may have guessed by this point that I'm not good at um, pre planning, <laughs> <it? laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I, I had no like work lined up moving to London. Um, my girlfriend, being the opposite, got a job like a month early. So she got a job with like the uh, Macmillan, the Cancer Charity. And because we moved down a month early, I hadn't you know planned to get you know I kind of planned to do something work wise, but had done nothing. So I just got a job in a pub, and then my friend worked in TV. And he said, "Look, this production company I work for are looking for people to work in the edit of this new TV show we're working on. So, you know, just put your name in." And and I got the job, and it was working basically as a it's called a logger, but it's it's basically like an edit assistant in the edit of what turned out to be the first series of The Great British Bake Off
0: so you're sitting there looking at all the shots and mm. like f- fairly mundanely like writing down stuff to help the editor right
1: yeah to a point but so so i was in the so i was in the basically just in the back of the edit suite on a little desk while the editor and the director sat at the front of the room and that was you know nine to five five days a week for you know for months and and they were really nice guys you know i basically told them i've come to be an illustrator I've, I'm not interested in a career in telly (laughs) I'm not you know this is just a you know something to pay the rent and so they actually came to me a week or so later because they were kind of like right we're putting the show together and we realized that it's basically a lot of people cracking eggs and flour in bowls and then looking at an oven and not until kind of 20 minutes into the show you actually see a cake you know so it's hard for the viewer to visualize what's actually being created so do you want to come up with some kind of ideas for sketches, basically a visual element that can help the viewers understand what is being created. So, um, so yeah, that was basically wow. how I got the, how I got the gig.
0: That is so cool. Oh. Like for, you know, for, chan- well, for chances of it, but also the fact that you didn't hold back from saying what it was, what you really wanted to be doing.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think I've done that throughout my life, really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that means you're you, like. How long did you have to work on those illustrations? What? Like, how like you're because <laughs> you're actively working within that show as it was being made. Well, that was kind of the story of the next
1: few years. Really, is that pitching wise? I did a couple of sketches. You know, it was honestly three sketches, and then I got it. Um, and the first series, it was just black line, so there was no colour or anything like that so it, they were fairly, you know, and the brief was for them to be a sketch that the bakers could have drawn in their kitchen notebook um, that's why when you see the um, graphic on the screen it's a, it's on an open book so it's, as if they've sketched it out, like this is what I'm going to create then I go and create it. And that and that's why the illustrations sometimes look better than what actually is created because it's what they planned to do not what they actually did you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was I would work a I would work a day and then go home at night and, and draw all night and on weekends. And I did that for, you know, the next six years, <laughs> working full-time jobs and, and then doing that, yeah.
0: That opportunity comes along and obviously nobody knew what that show would be uh, or what it become like So how did it feel when that finished and that went out? Did you consider yourself then like, you know, you were a freelance illustrator or did you just go go back on with things back on with life
1: yeah no I certainly didn't uh I felt like it was a big opportunity and it was great you know going from really getting I think the most I got paid for a job up to that point was maybe like 800 quid for like a mural job and to be fair this wasn't much more than that for the first series partly because you know a I was on a you know entry-level wage for the show so they were like you know, you're not an illustrator, you can't charge loads of money. And B graphics is like the last thing that ever gets, um, you know, budgeted for, and especially they hadn't budgeted for any graphics on this. So (laughs) so there was, you know, close to no money. So it wasn't like, you know, the money had changed my, um, kind of circumstances. So after that point I was just kind of like, well, I need to still be working. So I basically carried on working full time in TV in essence, I was a freelancer in, in TV then for the next three years, because you're basically working from job to job. And you're basically hustling, you know, you're, you're making connections, um, producers, directors, you know, whoever work production managers, and basically saying, I need some work, you know, I just basically worked as a runner on lots and lots of TV shows. By the end of it, I'd kind of worked, worked up to a researcher, but again it was just something to pay the wage and you know i'd go home every night and then draw and you know when i was doing bake-up it was i'd be drawing till like two in the morning sometimes you know the desk at the desk we me and my wife um girlfriend then but wife now lived in a like a one-bed flat in stoke Newington, and you know the desk was in our bedroom so she'd wake up in the morning and i'd be like asleep on a pile of cape drawings and you know (laughs) and the desk um (laughs) And it was, you know, and the TV work is not easy work. You know, we would, I'd be doing like 16 hour days sometimes on a set, you know, and then going home and, you know, I was, you know, it was a good job. I was young, really, you know, because I, you don't really feel that when you're young, you know, you just kind of, you're just powering through it and you don't, you don't feel tired like we do now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you you kept like working your way through TV jobs, drawing in your spare time Mm. what you had of it. And obviously you were sharing that to your social media, but were you ever like sending things out to people, like trying to push forward the illustration work? Uh, yeah,
1: but, you know, there was a bit of kind of duality going on in my brain because, you know, the work I was doing up to that point and continued on doing was the polar opposite of cakes. You know, I had a kind of moniker called twisted loaf, which I basically did all my work and I've, I've got a website and it's still actually up it's called twistedloaf.com. dot um of all the work I kind of did at that point so it, yeah it was it was hard because I didn't ever think that you know cape drawing was what I was wanting to be doing and uh, all the kind of skulls and monsters and all this other stuff that I was doing the rest of the time it was kind of a back and forth so I was constantly trying to kind of get work doing that sort of stuff and and i during that time, it was about the same time actually that I got back up, I joined another kind of collective called the Dead Sea Mob and it was kind of three or four other who at the time were like um, big gig poster artists. They did, um, you know, kind of lots of band artwork, you know, arms full of tattoos and beards and all that kind of stuff and we put on lots of kind of art shows around London and then eventually around the country like Bristol, Newcastle, Manchester, Brighton, um, basically like mural shows where we go to different kind of towns and cities and get people that we liked as well to come and draw big murals and then do prints and just put on a, put on a show really. And it was really fun and it was great, but like I had so many things going on. I was like working full time in TV and then trying to do all this kind of dead sea mob work as well as kind of doing cakes. So as you can imagine, you know, my website was a mess. (laughs) People did not understand what I was or who I was. And so basically all of it kind of suffered. You know, I ended up not having time to do as much as I wanted to and go to all the shows that I wanted to with the Dead Sea Mob. And I was just tired all the time, obviously. You know, my girlfriend never saw me. So, yeah, it was, it was a mental time. And, you know, I loved living in London, but, you know, I had very little time to actually enjoy it. And we, you know, and we didn't really have much money because the Dead Sea Mob stuff didn't make money either. That was just like a cool, fun thing to be doing as well. And we got loads of tracking, you know, we were in lots of like magazines like V&A and um, we got invited to do a show in New York and that kind of stuff, which never actually happened in the end. But eventually it kind of fizzled out. But the guys that I met during that time, um, uh, amazing illustrators um, like Richie, um, Richie Beckett, um, Dan Munford, Drew Millwood, Tom J. Newell, uh, God Machine, you know, they're, they're like massive illustrators and we're all kind of best mates there. We go on kind of a, a an annual kind of holiday together where we all just get together and talk about drawing. Um, but so so ju- so basically, we decided to move out of London because you know the the reason I had to keep working in TV was because I just had to make the crazy rent, you know. Um, so we moved back to Bristol, and it meant that I could basically just kind of do part time TV stuff. So you know because of the connections I had, I I could just go back and do that kind of login stuff from home and then work part-time freelance so I kind of did that for kind of six months working from home and started to go a bit loopy um working from home on my own because I just be I, you know i had been in London seeing a million people all day long and then just suddenly going and working from home <laughs> so then in kind of halfway through that year when Bake Off started up again I went and got a studio in a shared studio and went full-time freelance so that was kind of 2013 and yeah so been full-time freelancer since then
0: wow so when you when as you say full-time freelance you're in your own studio space was it on like the comfort of the fact that you had that bake-off job or did you have other work lined up
1: so bake-off was um so kind of as it as it went from series to series and got more and more popular they started to add shows to it, you know, to the Bake Off canon, you know. So it was the British Bake Off and then we did Junior Bake Off and then they'd have like a couple of Christmas specials and then they started doing like Comic Relief Bake Off. I can't remember what year it was. We started doing American, but I think it it was like 2015, something like that. But so Bake Off started to basically take over most of my year. But yeah, I was also doing, I had kind of, a few, you know, just random illustration jobs that would just come in, you know, week by week, month by month or whatever. And then I had a couple of kind of uh, long running monthly jobs for, there was one for a science magazine, kind of, you know, drawing up kind of uh, homemade experiments you can do from home. That was quite fun. Um, so yeah, there was, I was basically just busy all the time. You know, you kind of, it's one of those things really, isn't it? And I think it's kind of prevalent of a lot of illustrators that as soon as you go, full-time you have the time to take on those things you know whereas before you you maybe wouldn't be emailing out as much you wouldn't have as much time to kind of pester and hustle so you wouldn't get much as much back you know so it's kind Mm. of cyclical thing really but yeah i was i was suddenly then just busy all the time and i was still busy a lot with bake-off you know i was working every still working every evening and every weekend and stuff just because the amount of work it was
0: how did you fine when you made that transition like you know obviously you, you were great with your skill of illustration but what about the like the business side of it
1: uh yeah it was a it was a learning curve that I'm still learning um you know every year or every couple of years with Bake Off, for instance I would just out of necessity really from you know to pay the rent you know I would go back and say look this is a lot of work I deserve more this is why I deserve more and just basically just keep hammering and just getting my rates up every year a few years in i got in touch with a um a lawyer it's really someone i met in the shared studio actually there's a um pot noodle company called kabuto noodles Um uh, <laughs> they, they shared our studio and one of the guys there, you know he'd obviously set up a company so I, so he knew about I, ip and stuff so he put me in touch with his ip lawyer and I, and i basically went to him and you know, it seemed like something that was crazy for me, you know, who didn't have much money at the time. But I just thought it's in my interest to go and get my terms in the contract, you know, set out because, you know, up to that point, I was just like, yeah, it's a contract, I want work, I'll just sign it. You know, I hadn't paid much attention to it. But then I started to think, how can I figure this out so that it helps me a bit more? So I basically got terms put into the contract that, you know, because up to that point, the, you know, the copyright to the all the graphics was theirs, you know, because that's just a standard thing for graphics in TV, you know, but because I was doing all this work and it was hand drawn, you know, the line work is hand drawn and then I color it digitally. I got the lawyers to kind of make up terms so that I own the copyright to all the line drawings to, to bake off work. Once I color it and make it into what you see on the screen, the production company owned the, the license to that, you know? So, um so I got those terms set in so and and from that, what it meant was that I could, I could sell prints of my line work, you know, at that point, I wasn't selling prints or anything like that. So I had no other passive income that would kind of help my meet my monthly, nut every month. So, so yeah, I started doing that in 2015, I think year on year, it's just got better and better now. Pretty much all my print sales are to America, but maybe like 5% to the UK because america absolutely love bake-off and it's on netflix they've got oh. access to it every series so they're obsessed with it and obviously you know america's massive <laughs> so there's so many more people that could be into it so it's you know the the print sales are now like a massive part of my yearly income you know it's incredible it's quite hard to manage sometimes especially at christmas when i'm still incredibly busy with bake-off the print sales are through the roof but just doing you know taking that kind of step myself really helped me in the long run you know taking that initial bunts of paying out hundreds of pounds for you know an hour's work of a lawyer that really helped and you know with regards to other business the other business side of stuff you know i i'm still learning you know i i'm not massively great with money i just had to just figure stuff out year by year um being part of the Aoi really helped. You know, I've never had an agent or anything like that. So, when it came to pricing up jobs that came in, I would always go to the Aoi and ask their kind of opinion. Um, what
0: well, so for people who don't know, what's the Aoi?
1: Oh, the Association of Illustrators, Um it's a trade um, kind of industry thing for illustrators. Anything that you're kind of worried about, you know, they can help as an association. So, um, pretty much every job that I've got in, I've I've put to them even if I don't take their full advice, at least I've got an idea of how to respond to clients because, you know, without having an agent, you know, how do you know, you know? So just replying to emails and having the right wording when it comes to offering a license for your work saying, you know, this is a UK license. This is a worldwide license for one year, two years, three years, that sort of stuff. You know, I had no clue about any of that. So all that sort of stuff is stuff that I just picked up year on year. And, and yeah, and in, in 2016, I was kind of, I'd spent basically, uh, I think it was about 20 months I worked out that I'd worked consistently on Bake Off-related projects with no break, you know, all myself, because I I did a Bake Off colouring book in the middle of the two series. So I did, a you know, nine months' worth of Bake Off work, then went straight into doing the colouring book, which took, you know, three months or whatever, and then went straight into doing the, the next year's series. So after that point, I was completely burnt out. You know, i burn out several times during that um, period. And so kind of being pushed by the production company for one and being pushed by like my wife to say, you need to get some help. So I formed Studio Hovey, a limited company and, and took on my first intern through the uh, internship scheme at UWE, the U- University West of West England in Bristol. Yeah, and from that point, I've just, I've taken on interns every year, you know, graduates, basically. As soon as they graduate, I take them on. And they work with me for the rest of the year. And then if they want to, they come back the next year and work as a freelancer. So they usually come back for another year and then they start their freelance career and move on somewhere else. And
0: How cool is that? Did you find it easy to bring somebody on?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> incredibly, <laughs> incredibly hard. Because, you know, in essence, they're working in my style. So, um, you know, the point is that I I needed I needed help with the production of the artwork because there's so much of it you know, it's hundreds of drawings every year. So, so Casper, his name's Casper Wayne, uh, really good illustrator and animator. Now. Um, he came on the first year and he did the coloring. So, so I trained him for, you know, a couple of months, you know, before he started, because, you know, I was just kind of like how on earth am I going to get someone to do the work and for me to be happy with it, you know, because I've never considered how I, do my work, you know. I just do it instinctually and do that, and do and so it's been a. That's been one of the hardest things, probably that I've had to do, is work backwards, figuring out why I do what I do, why I put that line there, why I do that shading like I do it, and then actually vocalize it, you know, and teach it, you know. I partly become a teacher, and there's a there's a lot of stuff, you know, that I've had to let go, you know, because nothing is ever gonna be as perfect as if I did it in my head. But I also have to consider the fact that <laughs> that the graphic is on screen for six seconds. No one no one notices how I've slightly coloured the raspberry differently, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is you know, it's been a it's been a really hard thing, but it is what it is, you know, it's part of growing as a business and basically meant that I could have more of a work life balance. You know, because in two thousand six I had my first daughter and so it was partly because of that. Partly because I needed some help and, um, you know, and the production company were also kind of came to me and said, look, you know, we appreciate all the work that you do and it's great. And we're just aware that we keep on adding shows to your roster. You know, what if you got ill? Like, you know, who would do all this work? (laughs) I was like, um, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So, so, so it came to the point where, you know, so, so now I have, um, so my little brother actually works for me he's worked for me for the past few years he's also an illustrator and um, you can look him up alex hovey he's his work's incredible he works with me this year i've got um a guy called liam Callabout. he was an intern last year and he's come back as a freelancer this year and i've taken on a new intern a chap called che de dames he's a really good illustrator so he's just graduated as well so there's four of us now so it's um it's kind of grown and grown a lot of my job as well is is now just project management and all that kind of stuff. But but what it means is is that you know I don't work past half past four. Um, I don't work on the weekends, you know, because I I've, I've got eight months old twins as well now. So you know my time is <laughs> is massively reduced. So you know I cannot work in the evenings. I cannot you know and I do and I do my personal work and stuff in the evenings. But I don't work at all on the weekends now, which is you know which is nice. It's hard hard for me because i'm itching but you know i I do it
0: yeah wow so that came about by bringing other people to work alongside you and yeah. you called that so studio hovey yes and does that mean because um, maybe i've misunderstood but when we watch bake off for example the illustrations are kind of animated yes as well do they the tv production company that is do that or do you provide that
1: no so i provide that so you know the that's part of
0: what I do, and as was that what you've always done, or, or has have you invented that as it were along the way?
1: No, it's what we've always done. Just um, partly because they, um, you know, they they do voiceover over the graphic to just kind of explain what they're making, a little bit about them, and and then um, some arrows pop up just to kind of point out in, um, ingredients and that sort of stuff. So it's the crudest form of animation possible. You know, I, we create the graphics, I layer up black line, then the color, then a slice is cut out of the graphic if needed. And then, you know, one, two, three arrows. And literally I just send them five files. Each, each of one of those things is a flat TIFF, And then each of them textless so that, you know, cause they syndicate around the world and stuff. So if other countries want to put different languages on there. Um, so, yeah, so I, so for each illustration, I then have to make up, you know, 10 files and send them over as, you know, as an episode, you know, it's like a three gig file or whatever of each, and then they just drop those um, TIFF files in, you know, in sequence into the edit and it, and it animates, you know, it's the, um, so, so in essence, I can call myself an animator, but you know, any animator would bulk at my, (laughs) my, my, my knowledge, you know.
0: Though as studio, hope. I've seen some other work that you've done for, for channel four since beyond bake off Mm. as well i think
1: (laughs) yeah so so um so there was a period when i thought i'm essentially creating tv graphics why don't i try and you know that was when i first went full-time freelance actually in like 2013 you know i thought you know i need to see if i can kind of um add some more strings to my bow so i so i taught myself after effects because you know i wanted to see if i could get work doing other animation and you know within a couple of weeks randomly a director from channel four said that we're doing this documentary um about um female genital mutilation can you provide some kind of light um kind of animations to kind of because it's a really you know hard topic there's a lot of really um tough kind of interviews and stuff going on can you provide three 30 second animations to kind of intersect those periods that are kind of helping to explain things that are going on in a, in a, you know, not a humorous way, but a, a slightly lighter touch, you know? So, so I was like, yeah, of course I can. I'm a, I'm an animator. Um, and so then <laughs> my friend who worked for an agency in Bristol would basically come over after work every day. And I'd have a, you know, I, I'd, I'd have a list of questions of all the things I'd got stuck on that day, you know, just doing it step by step, just being like, right, how can I, turn this world into a sphere and make it spin you know that sort of stuff and he would just come in and just be like blah 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 and that's how I learned and you know and somehow created that in um in like four weeks so it's just that thing of you just fake it till you make it really but you know a- after that point I you know I realized that my brain is not the right brain to be doing animation you know I didn't after effects is such a massive thing and it's so you have to it's so on top of it to kind of um know everything that's going on i just i didn't have the brain power to keep doing it so yeah i didn't do much after that
0: <laughs> interesting so you stopped doing it but do you like is it something that you as studio hovey hire other people to to do for you while specializing in what you do best
1: well you know to be to be honest i i know animators like like i said my first intern casper uh, he's an animator so you know i see, i see Part of the kind of thing that I offer, um, the guys that come in, um, guys and girls, um, that come in um, as interns and then kind of stay on as freelancers, I kind of say, look, you, you know, in essence, you can stay on my books as freelancers. So if jobs come in, you know, and I don't have time to do them, I offer them out to the, to those guys. And if they've got the skills to do it, then I, you know, I offer it to them, you know, and, and I, I project manage them.
0: It's an interesting thing, though, when you start to work in that model of, Getting the pricing right? How did you find that? Like because obviously you're paying somebody but your business is trying to make a profit. You're sure. doing your own thing, but you're project managing stuff.
1: Yeah, well I um a few years after moving into that share studio in Bristol, me and a couple of guys moved into a really nice little studio in the centre of town. There was three floors and just a few little businesses and there was an animation studio run by one guy on the bottom floor called Reflective Flip Films. And he was just one guy and and it was a similar kind of thing to studio hovey he would just get the job in and bring freelancers in as and when he needed them and he gave me lots of good advice on how to how to run that sort of model you know take on lots of jobs and don't be doing it for you know your company to take lots of profit if you know what i mean you know give the bulk of the rate to the freelancers so that you're paying them a good wage and they're you know feeling valued for the work and you're as long as you're making something off it, you know, in essence, kind of two thirds go to the freelancers, the third goes to the business, you know, because you're also a project managing it, but your time isn't taken up by doing the work, if you know what I mean? So, so I, I kind of try to use that model in a sense, you know, we don't do loads and loads of extra work on top because Bake Off takes up so much of the year. And so, you know, I've kind of got to a point where, you know, Bake Off starts in kind of about May. It's obviously slightly different this year because of lockdown and stuff, but, It generally starts in like May and runs on until December, and then a little bit into January, February, but not much. So, so I usually take kind of that January to May as kind of like downtime. And I, I mean, the last last year we had babies, so I took it as paternity leave, and then with my first daughter did the same. But then, you know, the other years I just take it as time for me to just do whatever I want kind of personal work and personal projects and that sort of stuff and just investigate other ways that I can take the business and that sort of thing. So it's, it's been a really helpful way of, you know, having that, having that business model set up. It's It's been really helpful in me kind of pushing my kind of um, thing forward, you know, because I've got, you know, I've talked to friends who, you know, we've discussed it as, you know, the, the freelance life. It's, it's a kind of nonstop, you know, kind of hamster wheel. And, you know and as much as i appreciate bake off and what it's given me and all that kind of stuff you know it is something that i've done for a really long time and you know it obviously can get tiresome of doing a, a similar thing over and over but at the same time it's offered me a, a life and freedom and um, a support network for my family and that sort of stuff and it, and it offers me a chance to take time off when i want it you know i know that i've got that period in the year when i can just kind of defrag and not be completely stressed all the time where you know other freelancers don't necessarily get that option so you know I see that's how I kind of see the balance in my life now. Mm.
0: and it pushed you to develop your business in other ways in in bringing other people on that you might not have done otherwise I guess yeah for sure so do you work from a studio now or do you work from home I mean outside of the whole lockdown scenario um yes that was the plan
1: um so so september last year i moved um back to wales back to newport the, where i grew up partly because we'd just been priced out of bristol so we moved back and bought a house here a month or so after that we had the twins um so march or february maybe it's february march i went back to work you know um you know to start back after my paternity leave um and i joined a, a shared studio in cardiff bay um which is really nice, called uh Rabble and it was great. I had a desk, just getting all set up. I literally the week before lockdown, I moved my Mac and my Wacom tablet and everything into the studio. And then it was like, <laughs> hey, guess what? Nope. <laughs> so um so yeah, unfortunately I've had to let that desk go just because you know I was paying for it and you know, so so um so we jigged the house around. Um so I've now I'm now in my um studio. So I've got a really nice space where I can work and I'm, you know, and and it's just a, it's just a new way of working, you know, from, um, working from home and having an intern that I've had to train remotely has been quite a challenge, but it's been really good. You know, actually it's worked really well. You know, we just have Google hangout chats a few times a day and just talk about the work that we're doing and that kind of stuff. And um, Dropbox is, you know, basically just makes everything seamless. So yeah, it's, it's all right. We're coping. But yeah, I, as soon as we can, I'm going to get back into Shared Studio because it's, um, yeah, I don't have to hold a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I bought really, really good noise cancelling headphones, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really help if my wife opens the door and just hands me a baby. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> You said that, you know, in your illustrative style very early on, that you plan nothing. Mm. Are you someone who plans now? I don't mean in your in your illustration work but in your in your freelance business.
1: Yeah, for sure because like I said, you know, those those days taught me a lot um about what not to do really. So in I can't remember what year it was, maybe like 2015ish, I realized that I was at a point where that dual kind of life of having two styles and constantly kind of looking for a new style that I thought was going to be the style that was going to give me the kind of traction that I wanted in the illustration. Um I kind of just put that aside and just kind of sat back and looked at what I was doing. And I was like, you know, I've been looking for a style all this time and I, and I've actually created one through the work I do for Bake Off, you know, without really realizing it, you know, I, I worked consistently in this started developing it and changing it and making it better year upon year, you know, week after week. So, I was like, "Why am I beating myself up? Just pull that kind of character design stuff to bed? I had a pretty keen interest in food, and the food scene in Bristol was really good at that point. like you know, lots of my friends are like chefs, so you know it just seemed like right let's just focus on like food illustration. you know all the work you're getting in is like people saying, Can you draw food? can you draw And I was kind of you know, and I take it kind of just because i I wanted the work you know, and I was like, why don't I just this should be my style so so from that point on, I just focused on me being a food illustrator and it's made my life so much easier because, you know, the process that I use for um, creating the illustrations for Bake Off, I use for everything. And that was just it's so ingrained in my brain. I do that so unconsciously. It was just, you know, it's made my life so much easier and stress-free, you know, and open up a whole world of kind of possibilities because, you know, when I'm looking to do personal projects and personal work, you know, it's it's kind of it's an endless basis to start from. You know, so I've done lots of really kind of fun side projects to do with food. So yeah, it's been good. And how important are
0: side projects to you now? Then,
1: um, yeah, I think I think they're really important. You know, over the past few years, when I was in the studio in S- Bristol, we overlooked um, St Nicholas kind of food market. Um, in that food market is a food hall called Source. So. After the birth of my first daughter, I um after if I kind of wanted something to kind of get my teeth into, so I went in there and I you know I knew the guys that worked there and stuff, so I basically spent a week or two just hanging out with all the staff. Or this, they had you know they got a butchers in there, a greengrocer that kind of stuff, and I just took just loads of photos and sketches of everything that kind of went on in the in that food hall, you know. And then I just kind of worked up some illustrations based on that, not even to do anything with really, just as something for me to just try some new techniques out and just try some new styles and that sort of stuff and and the thing is is that from my point of view i do these side projects and they don't always see the light of day you know i did a a series of um fruit slices um as illustrations with the intention of making prints out of them um i started it maybe three years ago um, I'm yet to put them on my website. <laughs> you can see them on my portfolio, but you, they're not actually available to buy yet. Every year I'm like, right, I need to sort that out and put them up. What holds you back? Uh time, really, to be honest. Um and and maybe and maybe a bit of um kind of like, oh, oh I'm not happy on the colour at the back. Uh should, should I put <laughs> text at the bottom? And just and then it's just like, oh, and then another job comes in and then a, and I just put them back. But you know. This year, maybe the year they go up. Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, right. Well, let's get them up for Christmas, hey. And I'll sure I'll list them in the uh, in the Beam Freelance Gift Guide. Um, right, Tom. I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie, um, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Okay, I once
1: sketched Lily Allen um, while she was on stage at the Pyramid Stage at Glastonbury. I was a nude life model painted by z celebrities for a reality TV show called Barely Famous. <laughs> um, and I once spent two weeks in Annika Rice's basement. At the end of the fortnight, I, um, I went to see a play with her in Warwick and then um, we nearly died in a blizzard on the M1.
0: <laughs> that just got better and better. Okay, where do we start? Uh, you were a nude life model on a TV show. Where, who who was drawing you? Um, Dane Bowers, uh,
1: Mutia <laughs> from the original Sugar Babes, uh, Jedward, <laughs> Kerry Katona, Sonia from EastEnders, uh, Paul Danan and Les oh Dennis. Oh, my
0: God. Okay, I don't know whether that's...
1: The paintings the the are incredible, obviously. If that
0: isn't true, that was a brilliant, off-the-cuff listing of potential people who might well have been on... And, and I mean, this is obviously heard all around the world. I mean, I'm sure Paul Dinan is a massive hit everywhere, but I can't. Of <laughs> Sonia if if his... you don't know him, look him up. He's, he's a really nice
1: guy. <laughs> um, so, you know, so what it was, I was a, you know, I was a runner on the TV show and the, and the life model didn't turn up. So obviously they put it around who wants to do it. And, you know, being just not really caring and, you know, just thinking I was trying to make a good impression.
0: <laughs> I stepped up
1: because, you know, wow. it's a good story, isn't it?
0: Um, you sketched Lily Allen. Was that what, as a personal thing or you were paid to sketch her?
1: Yeah, so I was working for the um, Glastonbury Free Press, which is an um, on-site newspaper. I was like their on-site illustrator um, in like 2014 and 15. So, so yeah, it was amazing. It was in like the press pit at the front of the pyramid stage and thousands of people behind us. The base cannons at the front were just like deafening. But yeah. <laughs> It was incredible. I'd been going to Glastonbury since the year 2000. So to actually do that sort of stuff, be able to go backstage and that kind of stuff was like a dream country. It, it was
0: amazing. OK, for people listening around the world, Annika Rice, she was a huge TV star in the 80s. She was, uh, yeah, the TV star, yeah. Uh, absolutely. But he's still going. So how on earth did you end up in her basement?
1: Um, so, yeah, so I was filming a TV show that was based in, it was like a documentary that was based in her house. Um, we needed just kind of like a little production room set up. So she put us in her basement, you know, which is nice. Um, we worked out of there for a few weeks and then we would, you know, go around the country and do various little um, VTs and stuff. And while we were filming up North, her, she was like, All right, my son's directing a play in Warwick university. Can you take me? So obviously, you know, it wasn't like I was asked, I was told, you know, you're taking Annika out for a meal and then <laughs> taking a, a watch the son's play it was like a brecht play and it, oh my god it was very hard to understand but um, and so so we watched that and then we had to drive back to London that evening and it was like the weather was alright and then as soon as we got on the motorway the snow just came down and it was we had to like drive like single file along the slow lane because there was cars honestly like spinning out in front of us you know I'd done like a 16 hour day or something I was just like I just need to get home. You know, I was back in work at eight o'clock the next day because I had to drive her back to her place in Barnes and then drive back to Stoke Newton. So, I was, you know, I did not really want to drive slow. And she was kind of like,
0: slow down, slow down.
1: Um <laughs> So, yeah, it was, it was quite stressful. Um, but we made it, thankfully.
0: Oh, my gosh. These are brilliant stories. I'll be honest. I believe them all. The Annika Rice one is so weird that surely that has to be true. All of the levels of detail that you've given, unless you're an immaculate liar, good. suggest to me that that is true. Lily Allen Glastonbury sounds perfectly feasible, that you would be asked to do that. Nude Life Model also sounds true, but I don't know. It almost feels like maybe that was a show... But actually, then the guy turned up, and you didn't have to do it. So I'm going to say the nude life model. I bet that has elements of truth, but actually, I think that's the lie.
1: Yeah, you're right. It yes! is the lie. <laughs> to be fair, like chatting with my friends on WhatsApp this morning, my mates that actually work in TV were kind of like, actually, can you not say it? And maybe let's. I'm going to pitch
0: it next week. <laughs> so actually, that wasn't a TV show. No, it wasn't that. No. <laughs> Would you have done it, though, if that had been a TV show?
1: Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely no way.
0: So if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be?
1: Uh, I've kind of thought about it. it, It's difficult, really, because, you know, I, I don't really have regrets on the kind of path that I chose because it was all kind of fun. I mean, a lot of it was really stressful because I didn't have any money. But I think the one thing that I do regret is that I didn't go traveling more. And, and that's kind of what I do say to uh, graduates and or students that I kind of meet is that don't be too hasty to, like, get into this world that you're going to be in for the rest of your life. You know, when you're young, go and see the world. You know, my wife, as soon as we graduated uni, she went traveling for kind of um, nine months around the world. And I was kind of like, no, I can't come. I need to start my career, you know. Um, and obviously, I did nothing for nine months, you know, so... <laughs> Um, I just, there, there is, there's a pang of regret. You know, I, I went traveling around America and stuff like that, but I wish I'd just seen more of the world like South America and stuff. So that's maybe the only thing that I'd say is, you know, it will come, you know, as long as you work hard, give yourself a little bit of a break. You've been in education for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. Go and see some of the world, get some life experiences and that, you know, and then crack on.
0: Interesting. It's very rare that that question gives an answer, which is more about the life side of things than the freelance side of thing, if you see what I mean. Interesting. Yeah. Tom really great to talk to you thank you so much uh, for your time go to beingfreelance.com of course as with all of our guests there will be links through so you can check out Tom's work find him on social so on and so forth so go take a look at beingfreelance.com while you're there check out the blog the videos and importantly join the community click on that link and there's freelancers from all around the world so you can come and find us and if like myself and like Tom you're a freelance parent then search for doing it for the kids wherever you got this podcast because that's the other one that I do as well I co host it with Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. So search Doing It For The Kids and I'll see you over there as well. But for now, Tom, thank you so much and all the best being freelance.
1: Thanks for having me. That was great.